0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. How many of you love to play games with a family? How many of you fight as a family because you play games? That's about the same amount of hands I'm noticing. I grew up in a home where we played a lot of games. In fact, my mom will say that one of her greatest memories of her grandfather, or my grandfather, her dad, was the way they played games, card games all the time. And so we always played games. I remember, um, and, and mom, dad, if you're watching at home, love you both. Two different times, my dad got angry, broke a Parcheesi board over his leg, and threw it in the fire. And I remember the first time because I didn't understand the game and I had no idea what was happening. I just remember my dad getting mad saying my mom was cheating and then that was how the game ended. (laughs) So competition may run a little deep in our family. And the way this plays for me is I'm okay with losing as long as we keep playing until I finally win and then we can quit. And it drives my wife crazy because it could be four hours in and I haven't won a game yet. And I don't care. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm like, okay, if you want to quit, we can quit. Otherwise, we can keep going. I'm fine. But she's like, can we just stop? Like, nope, not till I win. I'm okay as long as the last person to win is me and I'm good. So the way this plays out in my marriage, my wife won't play games with me anymore. <laughs> And now we have kids and they wanna play games and rarely will she join me when I'm playing with the kids. And the reason, and I'm just gonna say this arrogantly, the reason is because I'm really, really good at games. (laughs) I get them. The strategy behind the game makes sense to me. And so there's one category of games that I absolutely hate and they're games that have no strategy. Shoots and ladders. What evil person thought up this game? It is totally random. It doesn't matter what you do. And then there's one game. My wife and I have been playing our entire marriage. And I would not be lying if I said, I think maybe one time ever I won the game. The game of life. And I don't understand how one person could lose over. I have analyzed The strategy, I have read websites. I know, because the game is random. You just spin a wheel, you gotta go wherever it tells you to go. But there are certain little things you could do like buying stocks. You can make sure you get a high-paying job. You can make sure, you've seen this, right? Here's some of the houses, like here's what the houses look like. Like there's actually a website article that went and took, like if you were to buy this house, here's what it would actually cost you if you were to buy it, and they tried to find a house that looked just like it. It doesn't matter. My strategy when I play the game of life is to buy the cheapest house you can find. I don't care what it looks like. I want to win because everybody knows how to win at the game of life, right? What do you have to have at the end? Money. The most tiles, the most money you can at the end of the day. That's all. In fact, here's a website. Literally says, literally says, the object of the game of life is this. Travel the path of life, making decisions, building a family, earning money and paying some out to, buying homes and collecting life tiles. Have the highest value at the end of the game and win and I can't seem to do it, and it drives me bonkers. So, it brings up a great question. Using a board game as an analogy, the real question is this. How do you know if you win at the game of life? The real game of life. Is it the same thing? Because most of us say no. Like, you don't just wanna buy the cheapest house you can. In the game of life, you may care more about whether you're a rock star or a superstar, right? but it might make more sense to be an accountant depending on which card options you have if you've ever played the game. But in real life, how do you know if you win? Now my guess is you've never sat down to truly ask yourself this question, but you're making decisions every single day based on your personal opinion. There's something driving it, right? I wanna get to the end of my life and I wanna have had fun. I wanna have lots of experiences. I wanna see the world. How many see the world people are in here? Amen, God bless you. I want to have a nice home. I want to have 2.5 kids, that poor half a kid. I want to, whatever it is, right? And whatever it is, you probably decided it somewhere in your life. You were watching a movie, you were watching a TV show, the perfect wedding showed up. And you knew in that moment, I have to have that to be happy in my life. But how do you know if you win? Maybe a better question is, how are you doing? in that pursuit most of us we call it a midlife crisis right we get somewhere into that journey a decade or two or three along the way the kids didn't quite turn out like the little pegs in the game our marriage didn't end up quite where we thought it would we have way more debt than we thought that house was ever going to cost we like to travel the world but we haven't quite made it past kentucky yet which is like seeing another country, but... If you're from Kentucky, so is my in-laws, so is my wife, it's just a joke. Welcome to Kingsway. But anyway. But how's it going? See, here's the reality. Most of us at some point, we have to slow down our lives just enough to evaluate. Are we where we thought we'd be? Are we where we want to be? Are we where we should be? And those are very different questions. So with that in mind, I wanna take you to something takes you. I wanna take you to something Jesus said. Luke chapter 12, here's the context. Jesus is having this conversation with a bunch of people. He's doing teaching, that's what he always does. And this gentleman interrupts the teaching. Now if you go back and read like Luke 11 and Luke 12, there's a part of you that will almost go, "Oh, you poor guy, you weren't paying attention. Because Jesus was not talking about the things this gentleman thinks Jesus is talking about. And the gentleman's got a real-life issue going on. His life is not turning out the way that he thought it would. And he interrupts Jesus. And he says, Jesus, tell my brothers to share the inheritance with me. Now, there's a whole lot of backstory and what's going on culturally. And nobody's 100% sure. But this guy sees Jesus has authority. And obviously, the guy's having some sort of fight with his family over mom and dad's inheritance. And Jesus maybe could provide a solution to their problem. And Jesus, in front of everybody now, instead of solving the problem, he simply says this, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Possessions. Now, technically, he made this comment after he told the guy, hey, who made me the the guarantor? Who made me the guy who oversees your estate? In other words, no, it ain't my problem. That's a you problem. But then in front of everybody, rebukes and corrects this guy and says to the whole crowd, be careful, watch out, because greed is sitting at your door. And life does not consist in abundance of possessions. All right, let that sink in for a minute. Let's go ahead and pray. Have a nice day. That's all I have to say for you today. We live in the wealthiest country in the history of the world. Praise God. Like, there's no guilt in that. But it is a reality for us that we must face and face at every moment. We must accept it, talk about it. The very dreams that we had as kids about our adulthood, about our futures, were they dreams that God wanted for us? And if not, don't be surprised if every once in a while you're frustrated and irritated at the way things are turning out. God has rigged this life in such a way that you won't find the happiness, the joy, the pleasure that you're looking for until you find it in him. And so if you're searching after it in anything else, it's not going to work. But that's because God loves you. He's built it that way. In fact, Jesus goes on next, right after this. If you have Luke 12 open, you can see for yourself. And he tells a parable. And a parable is a story intended to make a point. And the parable goes like this. There's a guy, we don't know who he is, so he's not a real person. There's a guy, and he has an abundant harvest. Now, most of us today don't know a lot about harvesting. I talked last week, Jesus told a different parable about harvesting, and he said that God is a God who harvests where he's never planted seed. But now in this parable, we have a guy who has an abundant harvest. In other words, he's a farmer. In Jesus' day, most people came from an agricultural society, A lot of what they did had to do with animals and farmland. That's a lot of what people did. So this guy has an abundant harvest, way bigger than he ever thought he was going to have. It blew him away. And so he's sitting around, he's looking at all of the harvest and he's wondering to himself, what do I do with all that I have? And he comes up with a great idea. Oh, I know what i do. I'll go build a bigger barn, a bigger silo to hold all of my harvest. And then I'll sit back and take it easy the rest of my life and say, Wow, praise God, I hit the jackpot. Sound about like our life? What do I do when I get more? And then Jesus says in the parable, and it's just a parable, you fool. Tonight, your life will be taken from you. And then who's going to get everything that you have? Now, connect back to the original story. Remember, all this was built on a guy whose family had died, and he's saying, make my brother share the inheritance with me. So connecting the dots together, somebody has died, and now what? And Jesus is simply saying, it's very, very simple. He's simply saying, what if, what if, Your abundance was given to you by God for a purpose. And what if that purpose wasn't to make you more comfortable? Now, that's mind-boggling because that's anti-America and a capitalistic society. And by the way, I am anti-socialism. Let me just say it up front. I'm anti-communism. So nobody in here thinks that's what I'm talking about. But I'm pro-Bible All right, some of you are laughing now. I'm pro-Bible, which means I have to wrestle with the things that Jesus tells me even if I don't always know what to do with them. And what Jesus is simply saying is, in fact, he actually says it in verse 21, I believe it is. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is how what will be. Well, you'll be storing up things for yourself and suddenly, one day, your life will be taken from you and everything you have will be divided up. Even if you plan really, really well, everything you have will be divided up. Why? Because it all stays behind. What Jesus is trying to get to is maybe, just maybe, and just want you to prayerfully consider this, right? Maybe, just maybe, everything you have is from God for a purpose, that God intended to bless you for a reason. This is why as we're going through this book, <clears throat> The Treasure Principle, which we gave out 550 copies of. which is phenomenal. I hope you're reading. I hope it's challenging you, blessing you. Many of you told me you're reading it and you hate me already. That's fine. I can get over there. But nobody's actually said that. The Treasure Principle summary is basically this. You can't take your possessions with you, but you can send them on ahead. In other words, one day you're gonna be in heaven, you're gonna be in a new eternal kingdom and while you can't send your literal couch, you can't send your literal car, you can't send your literal house ahead of you, what you can do is take the stuff that God has given you and send it ahead of you by investing in the things that God cares about here. What are those things? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, so again, Jesus' words are better than mine, he says this, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin, I love that, destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what Jesus is saying is when you value earth more than heaven, you'll put your resources in the things of earth more than heaven. And the problem is they all break, they all get stolen, or they all get left behind. So every earthly investment at some point fails you because it can't last more than your lifetime. That's the maximum amount you're going to get out of it. So then what does that mean? As we come to each of these teachings, we just keep asking these questions. So then what, God? So then what, God? So then what, God? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? What do you you want me to do with that? What I'm trying to get to today with this message is I just want you to begin to wrestle with the idea that maybe, just maybe, the things that you're chasing after aren't the things you need, and maybe, just maybe, and if you're honest with yourself, you'll see this, the things you're chasing after can't provide the lasting happiness that you're really looking for, which is why you always need more and more and more, and it's never enough. Randy Alcorn, in the book Treasure Principle, he says this, we think we own our possessions, but too often they Own us. My last pastor used to say that same thing this way. Sometimes you get what you want, but then what you want gets you. And many of you are feeling that today. My last church uh, did a financial class and everybody totaled up the amount of consumer debt they had, not counting their home because you're gonna have to have a home. And there was over a million dollars worth of consumer debt and a class of 35 people. Some of you are like, wow. And some of you are like, that's all? Because the reality is, we've spent beyond our capacity trying to fulfill some dream or idea we had long ago about how to win in life. And every time we see somebody else driving a new Corvette, every time we see somebody else going on a new vacation, thank you very much, social media, Every time we see somebody else wearing new clothes, we think to ourselves, man, I bet I could be happy too. But the reality is, you can be happy too, it's just not found there. And in order to really understand all of what the Bible says about money, you have to start with what's called treasure principle number one. And I love this. It's like a key. Treasure principle number one is simply this. God owns everything, and I'm his money manager. That's what we looked at last week. So I have to begin there. And by the way, if you were to start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation, you see this talked about so many times in so many ways. It's hard to argue that this is a true principle. Just for instance, Psalm 24 one says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So, who owns everything? God. And by the way, it's not just the earth. There are plenty of passages I'm not showing you that say the universe. Actually, sometimes the word is the word cosmos. The whole idea that all created matter is God's. He made it. He owns it. So, all of it belongs to him. So, ultimately, if it all belongs to him and he's given you some, then who's managing it? Me. Me. So track all of this back now. Go back all the way to that story. In Luke chapter 12, what's going on here? Jesus is trying to help us understand that when we have abundance, it wasn't given to us so that we could have more. It was given to us so we could partner with God in what he's trying to do in the world. So how do I partner with God and what God's trying to do in the world? In the Old Testament, now for those of you who are new with this thing called faith, religion, Jesus, God, Let's talk about Old Testament has to do with those first set of books that point us to the Messiah, Jesus. There are 39 of them. There are 27 New Testament books, 66 total books. So if you started Genesis and you go all the way to that old Italian prophet Malachi, it's not really Italian, it just sounds Italian. Anyway, if you go all the way through, those set of books show us the Messiah. Jesus comes, we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the rest of the books are telling us about how Jesus, we call it the New Testament, fulfilled, and the reason we call it Old Testament, fulfilled that, the reason is because it was the First Testament and the Second Testament. All of it points us to one key figure, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the one who created in the beginning. He's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. He's the one who points to, who saves, redeems, restores, renews, gives hope, gives life. He is the point of it all. He's the son. He's your hope. He's the beginning and the end, the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is everything. So all of life, all of the story points back to him. Yeah, you can clap for that. Hope you're clapping for him. So the question is always, how is my life pointing back to him? What's fascinating, and I could spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, I obviously don't have time right now to do this, but I could connect all these amazing dots for you. How the Passover lamb points us to Jesus on the cross. How the feasts of the Old Testament point us to Jesus and his coming and one day his return I could point to you and show you the the priests, the Levites, the kings, the prophets. I mean, these are what we call symbols uh, that point over and over and over again to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus. And that's important because there's this Old Testament concept. And the concept is called a first fruit. Now again, agricultural society, so you're working hard to work the land, and the land is producing and a first fruit has to do with this concept of when the land produces, that I take the first and the best of what it produces, and I give it back to God as a sacrifice, as an offering. The, the, the theme of first fruits literally means this. The concept of first fruits derives from God's creation work, because God created everything that exists. All creation belongs to him. So consequently, that which is first and best belongs to him, and it's to be given to him. This is what's profound about first fruits. First fruits comes along when you get the Israelites in the desert before they enter the promised land. And God tells them as they're entering the promised land, when the land produces the first harvest for you, I want you to give the first of it back to me. Now what's profound about that is when the Israelites enter the land, who did the planting the first time around? Did the Israelites? No. And that's part of the point. When God led them out of captivity, out of slavery, through the desert, into the Promised Land, the work was done. They literally just showed up and reaped the benefits of what God had already prepared for them. So that first firstfruits, if you will, became a principle upon which every future firstfruits was gathered, collected, and taught. So every. For future first fruits was a remembrance that even though last year I did plant seed and the, the last part of the planting season, even though I did that, the harvest is still a blessing that came from the Lord because before we ever got here, God was taking care of it for us. Now imagine this. There's a gap between planting and harvest. Usually a few months, depending on what it is. It could be even longer or shorter, but it's usually a few months Now, I want you to imagine the pain of the moment, a a season in history when there weren't refrigeration and there weren't the kind of ways to store food the way that we do today. So now imagine you are literally dependent on that first harvest to feed your family. Not only dependent, but you're so looking forward. Not things that we think of today that are not that big of a deal, but back then, figs producing the first growing on the vine. And you're watching them ripen, and you're, it's just killing you when they're not ready yet. And you're like, come on already. New, new oil. Olive oil, olives, oh, so many things went into olive oil and what it was used for, for cooking and its purposes. You're watching these things grow when you're watching them produce and you're like, come on, come on, come on. And when they're ready and they're finally ready, there's an amount of patience that goes into it. And then God says, give me the first. So now you have to take those first and you take them to the temple and you give them to the priests and the Levites and that was considered their portion and you had to wait now for the second part to come. The anxiety of it all would have been maddening. You were dependent year after year after year, season after season on God showing up. What if it didn't work? What if there's a terrible rain? What if there's a drought? We'll die. We can't do this. And God says, do it anyway. And I'll show up. And I'll show off. And you could trust him. Because at the end of the day, God is about establishing your trust in him. That's why in Proverbs chapter 3, it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. The, the, The writer of the Proverbs, most likely Solomon here, He's trying to let you know when you trust God, God promises he'll come through. So what happens if I stop trusting God? Better hope for rain. Are you seeing the connection here? What does that mean for us today? But let's not move on too quickly. Let's be uncomfortable for just a few more minutes. Welcome to Kingsway. Second Chronicles chapter 31 verse 5 says this. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites gave, generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. What God is trying to do in the Israelites is what God wants to do in us today. And it's very simple, but it's treasure principle number two. And that is this. My heart always goes where I put God's money. And the reason God required that the Israelites give first is because he wanted them to always remember who provided, who cared for them, and who's gonna do it next time around. And so year after year, they would see over and over and over again, God's faithful, God's faithful, God's faithful. Some years there's abundance, some years there's just enough, but he will always provide what you need. It was a system that God created that would help to dislodge from the Israelites' heart this hanging on to, this I need, I want, I must, I can't be happy unless it would force them to be patient. I don't know about you, but has there ever been a season in your life where you had to wait to buy something? I've used this illustration before, but my wife and I, we had this this, this cheap. TV that we bought on clearance, it was kind of beat up and broken, and um, it was uh, the, the store model that had hundreds on hundreds of hours, but it was all I could afford. And I finally talked to my wife and let me buy, uh, we were going to buy a plasma TV, we decided to go with an LCD TV, this is like 15 years ago now, I saved for over a year so that I could pay cash. And when I went in, I was so excited. I was going in and I was using my cash as a bargaining chip. I was so excited. I went to every store I worked in. My wife's like, just buy a TV. You've already worked hard and saved the money. I did all these extra projects for people. Like anything I could because I wanted this new TV. We still have the same 42-inch Sony Bravia TV today. It's not nearly as bright as I can't get rid of it. Like if any of you know how to fix it, like I love that TV because I worked and I waited for it. It means something more to me than if I just went out and bought it on credit and paid for it later. But that's part of what God is trying to instill in the people. Wait on me and you'll appreciate more what I do for you. But that's hard for us. Because God knows that my heart always goes where I put God's money. You can literally just go ahead and, it's kinda gross, but sew into your shirt today, a little string, maybe tie it right there to your heart, where your heart is, and just put your wallet on the end of that string. Because wherever that wallet goes, it's gonna lead you. And some of you know this really well. Because the car that you drive, or the house that you have, or the clothes that you possess, you think, man, I spent top dollar on these. But they're driving your life. And in many ways, for some of you, I know because I love you, they're driving you into the ground. The number one cause of divorce in America, decade after decade, is money. This is why some of you are fighting nonstop about money. Do I have enough money? Can I buy enough stuff? Can we finally go do or see? And it's because this is driving your heart. Treasure principle number two says, if this is true, then how do I make sure that my money that God has given me to manage goes where he wants it so that my heart goes where he is? In fact, in the book, Randy Alcorn says this, As surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads, heart follows. All right, so let's get practical now. Hopefully I've got your attention. Hopefully you're listening. But let's ask this question. How do I live while I'm here on earth in order to win the game of life? How do I make that happen? How do I make that a reality? I'm going to give you three very simple, very quick things to do. Ready? Number one, it's very easy. Commit everything in life to the Lord, everything. There is nothing wrong with making every major decision in life. Look, I don't know that God cares that much where you eat lunch today. Like, there are certain foods that are good for your body and certain ones that aren't. But apart from that, God doesn't care where you eat lunch. If you really want to pray about it, go for it. I don't think God cares. I don't have any passage that tells me God cares. But everything you do in life that's a decision Whatever purchase you do, whatever direction you're taking your family, how you're going to spend and invest your time and your resources, commit them to the Lord. In fact, Proverbs 16, three says this, commit to the Lord, whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. That's a whole sermon in itself, because it's one of the most terrifying things you could do is to give God your schedule. God, here's my plans. Now, what do you want to do with them? But the Bible says many times, in his heart, a man makes plans, but the Lord will determine your steps. The point being, we got to get your heart aligned with God. And if we get your heart aligned with God, then God has the freedom to direct your life in each moment as he sees fit. And it is mind-boggling sometimes when God says, I don't want you to go to that thing. I want you to go to that thing. I don't want you to give to that. I want you to give that. I don't want you to buy that. I want you to do this. I want you to partner with me in this. I've made quite a few people uncomfortable over the years, looking at them and saying, you need to serve in this ministry. You need to go on that retreat. You need to join us on this mission trip. Trust me, you need to do it. And not once have any of them come back and said, I hate you for doing that to me. They always come back and say, Pastor, thank you for pushing me beyond my comfort level. And then they often follow up with, God wrecked me while I was there. He gave me a heart for teenagers. He gave me a vision for people in Peru. I can't wait to go back to India. What we did in Mexico, how do we bring that back here? What I experienced in Ireland, can we recreate that? See, when your heart starts to align with God's heart, he's gonna ruin you. I just want you to know that now. Listen, if you don't wanna be ruined by God, you probably don't wanna come to Kingsway because that's one of our goals. We wanna be Yeah, right? You're like, welcome to Kingsway. We won't see you next week. We want to be ruined by God. I do. I want God to take everything that I thought I wanted to do in life and just destroy it. So that I could just be this lump of clay that he could take and shape and mold and say, I want to build something beautiful out of this. Give me 100 people like that, we'll change the world. Give me 2,000. Phew. This is a question for all of us, always, at all times. Is God first? Principle number two. I want you to live with the end in mind. Don't live with tomorrow in mind. Don't live with the next six months in mind. Don't live with the next 12 months in mind. Live with the end in mind meaning one day your life is gonna come to an abrupt stop, just like the man in Luke 12. You don't know the day or the hour. Tragically, it could be today in a car accident or a heart attack, or it could still be yet decades off. Jesus may return before the end of this message. It would make it a little shorter, praise God, but one day it's gonna happen, and this isn't a threat. It's an encouragement if you feel like your death or Jesus' return is a terrifying thing, then you do not yet have the heart of God. It is not a terrifying thing. It's a glorious thing. For all of us who are with God, partnered with him and what he's doing in this world, we can't wait for him to come back. We've been working hard so you'd come back. If you're ready to come back, it's our time to come see you. Praise God, the work will continue on into eternity. But Jesus says it this way in uh, Matthew 16. For the son of man, that's his title for himself. So for Jesus is going to come in his father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. A reward is different than salvation. Don't confuse the two. Somebody asked me once in this church, it was a great question, what is the benefit of reward if I already have all I need in Jesus Christ? It's a great question, but the point is my daily life and choices actually have connectivity to my eternal life. The Bible seems to talk about and tell the story of rewards. And my faithfulness here somehow is connected to eternity. And what exactly that means, I can only tell you that nobody is 100% sure. But it's not in question as to whether it's real or not. And Jesus says, one day I'm going to come back and I'm bringing my rewards with me. So my faithfulness here somehow connects to what happens there. So I don't want to live for just tomorrow. I want to live For that day. Number three, number three, I want you to choose the stuff of heaven over the stuff of earth. I'll be really practical in a moment, but let me just give you a passage that backs this up. First John chapter two, verse 15 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them. Okay, slow down and read that again. That's a hard passage to hear, but brothers and sisters, we got to hear it. If anyone loves the world, then love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Enter the sandlot forever. Those of you who have seen the movie know what I'm talking about. Quick question, are you living for heaven or are you living for earth? How would I know? Only God knows your heart, your pastor doesn't. Let me give you some quick principles my wife and I have landed on to help drive our hearts towards heaven and not earth, and we always have to come back to these. So number one, in order to practice first fruits, One of the things that my wife and I do is we set aside the first and the best of everything we get. So if you give us money, we actually set a portion of that aside. If you give me a gift card to Starbucks, we actually set a portion of that aside. If we get a birthday present from somebody, an anniversary present, we actually set the first of that aside. If I go speak somewhere and they pay me, we set the first of that aside. That percentage I'm not gonna share with you. I'll only say my wife and I have a desire to give 25% of everything we ever get away We're not quite there. We were really close, then we had three kids, and our expenses went up. We had to dial that back a little bit. We're not quite there. That's our dream. That's what we're shooting for. The first of that, we give to the church. Then we go above and beyond that in terms of we have missionaries that we support. We have kids from other missions organizations that we support, and then we do something we call our generosity account. And every time I get paid, we just stick money in there We're actually about to take a chunk of money and put it in an investment fund, knowing that when that thing matures in a few years, we're going to take all of it and just bless the heck out of somebody. And I can't wait for five years to come so we could take all that money and just give it away to somebody. And I don't know who yet. I'm going to get a ton of emails this week, but I don't know who yet. (laughs) And then my wife and I have given each other complete permission. That generosity account, if God ever leads you to something, use it. Just use it. You don't even have to ask. Just use it. And if it's ever at zero and God leads you to something, you can use it. You can spend extra. We'll pay ourselves back. God is always faithful to provide more. We're not perfect. Sometimes it's still hard. Just being honest. But I don't want to stand before Jesus one day and say, but I had a really nice car, Jesus. I want to stand in heaven one day and see a multitude of people behind him and just my face light up with a smile and go, I play a small part. I know that guy. I know that girl. One time I went grocery shopping at Kroger's and it was like late at night, midnight or something. And I saw this lady throughout the store and she had a couple kids in her grocery cart. And we went to checkout at the exact same time. And, um, and I looked up, but she had just left it. She didn't take any of her groceries with her. She took her kids out. And her car was just a little bit out. There was like nobody there. And I saw her out there. And I just walked up. I said, ma'am, I couldn't help but notice that um, you didn't walk out with any of your stuff. She seemed to frantically be going through her purse. She said, I didn't have enough money. We didn't have any money in the generosity account. But it was 11.30 at night. My wife was already in bed. And I was like, I know my wife would be okay with this. So I said, can I help? Bought our groceries. I said, what else do you need? She goes, no, no, sir, sir, that's enough, that's enough. I looked in her car, not only did she have the two little ones that were inside, she had another three. I said, ma'am, can I fill up your car with gas? She goes, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'd be honored. So we drove over and her little kids are like, hi, do you know my mommy? And I was like, no. Clear here, <laughs> and she got out and just briefly talked. And she said, "Hey guys," she said, "What's your name?" I said, "I'm Matt." She said, "I just," she turned around, and she goes, "This is my new friend Matt, kids," and um, said, "Hi, how are you guys?" We're talking about the tank is filling. Out. It was so small. The next day, I, I told my wife, with a little bit of anxiety, I know my wife's heart. my wife's like, give it all away, but I, I knew she'd be okay with it, but a little anxiety, like, hey, I put that on the credit card. She's like, "Matt, God has blessed us, he'll take care of it. That's what I want you to have. I want you to have this perspective that if I give God first, he's gonna take care of it. And let me just be really honest as I close here. For some of you, that's really hard. And the reason it's really hard is because your home is not currently in heaven, your home is stuck on earth. Which is why treasure principle number three is this, heaven and the future new earth, not this fallen earth, is my home. What I wanna do right now is I wanna give God the opportunity to ruin you. That's what I want. So I realize some of you are gonna sneak out. This next moment is gonna be so awkward and uncomfortable for you. And I only pray that you'll give us another chance to continue to speak Jesus into your life if that's you. But the rest of us, we're gonna stay and be ruined for a little bit. We're just gonna be in the presence of God. Look, I wanna be very clear. What we have around the room right now are our communion tables. And y'all want you to come and commune with your Father. I want you to spend this time thanking him for his goodness and his grace in your life. But listen, I'm being really honest right now. Please don't miss this. If you have a greed problem, if you have a love of money problem, Jesus says you cannot serve God in money. You're gonna hate one and love the other. Only choice, love God. It's your only choice. If you know in your heart today you have a love of money problem, by all means, do not leave today without crucifying that desire. Eternity Ways in the balance for you. And I love you too much to see you go. If this message makes you angry, there's a good chance you need to surrender to God right now. What I want to encourage you to do, if that's you, listen, you can always use the front of our stage and just kneel and talk to God. You can go back to your seat and kneel and talk to God. Or you could find one of our Connect team members and say, would you pray with me? Tell me about this God who loves me, let me pray and then we'll just be in this moment with God Heavenly Father ruin us ruin us for you strip away everything everything in this life God that is coming between us because life doesn't get better with more of anything of earth life only gets better with more of you so God, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters who are in this room and their heart is hardened and they're feeling even angry or frustrated or maybe they're feeling called and drawn and they don't know how or, or to let go. God, give them such a profound vision of your beauty, your goodness, your glory, that all the stuff of earth just passes away anyway. Who cares? Strip them of those things, Father. God, I pray right now, move in this place in such a profound way but it's obvious you and you alone did it. God, as we bring to you our offerings, receive them now. They're just our first fruits. They're small, but they're yours. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. All God's people say.